Hey, Jen. Hey, Tina. You ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. You're listening to Speaking of Racism. Hey, Jen. Hey, Tina. How are you doing? Wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm a little jet lagged from our trip, I will admit, but I'm hanging in there. You know, it's only three hour difference, so that's okay. Yeah, and it's two hour difference for me, and I my body never adjusted to the time in LA. So I've been on Central Standard Time this entire time, even my two weeks in uh, in LA. So I'm just back at it, ready to hit the ground running, and really can't wait to talk to you about what this past weekend was like. Yeah, well, one thing I'm curious about is what you did while you were in L.A. Do you want to share some of that with us? Because you were really working. Sure, I'll share a little bit about that. I was in L.A. to do a variety of things. In addition to meeting up with some friends as well as some family, I got to hang out with two of my cousins. So that was really awesome. Uh, I, I had a couple of work speaking engagements and events that I was leading, one of which was a screening and discussion of HBO's documentary, True Justice, Brian Stevenson's Fight for Equality. And I hosted that at Insight LA in Santa Monica. And it was incredible. I mean, it was a wonderful time. I really have enjoyed every time I get to be in a different space. And it's always interesting to see the people who come who want to be a part of the conversation around not only Brian Stevenson and his work with the Equal Justice Initiative, but also people who want to engage in dialogue around our country's criminal justice system and the implicit racial bias that is involved and at play. So it, it was a really, a really great time. The people that showed up were very active in the conversation. So I always really enjoy and appreciate being able to be in a space where we get to have real courageous conversations about what we are experiencing today with regards to the criminal justice system and ways that we can affect change when it comes to being a part of truth and reconciliation. So that's one thing that I did while I was there. And another thing that I did, a few other things, is I led a four-hour anti-racism and yoga workshop that I, I do, that I also lead around the country. And that workshop is called Let It Start With Me. So that was a really great time as well, just for some white women who want to go deeper into their own personal anti-racism journey. And do some digging and unpacking and self-reflecting. So we, we use the, the tools and philosophy of yoga. We, we kind of dissect through some of the, the limbs of yoga and apply them to how we show up as anti-racists in our everyday life. So that was um, great as well. And then uh, I participated in an MLK dinner on MLK Day and spent some time with some white people in Redondo Beach. And that was interesting. I don't think any of the people that were there at that dinner had had any conversations previously about race. That That's the way that it, it came across. So it was some, it was an initial conversation that I think sparked some questions for them. But I, I think ultimately what I'm hoping that they went away with is just to be challenged to continue to ask questions. I think that's where it starts for 
all of us when we come into the awareness of the fact that racism is still alive and well and the ways that we see it around us. And not only that, but the ways that we have to look in ourselves and and identify ways that we have been upholding racism and white supremacy, look at ways that we've been perpetuating it. And if interested, if if we want, we have the opportunity to begin that dismantling process. And I say it's a process. So, you know, that conversation that we had at that dinner on MLK Day, I don't consider that doing anti-racism work. That was simply, we got together for dinner. We talked about Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail, and we were able to share some things. And again, I don't think that the those in attendance had shared publicly before. So it was a, a good starting point. So yeah, those were a couple of things that I, that I did when I was in LA. So yeah, so you were busy on this trip. I was... So Tina and I, little known fact, had never actually met in person. And so this worked out really well because a couple of months ago, I was talking about how I wanted to go to LA. And I try to go like January, February timeframe and Tina and I were talking and you had the idea of coming and meeting up with me. Yeah. So uh, so we decided we were going to get together and we're going to meet up. And it was really cool. And so we started looking at, you know, and when you, had, you and I initially talked about it, I wasn't sure, you know, is this something where we'd all stay in our own separate places and then we'd get together and meet for coffee and hang out and surface level, do vacation together or whatever. And as time progressed, we're looking for Airbnbs and we're going to stay together. Together, and then we're going to invite other people. And it got me thinking because we have a mutual friend who lives in California, but not close to LA, Corey Leak of Existential Podcast. And he had been asking me about these dinner parties that I host, these food for thought dinner parties that I host. And he was really curious about them. And anytime I would post about doing one, you know, he'd comment like, oh, I wish I was in the area and could attend. And so I got this idea. I'm like, okay, if we're all getting together and I could possibly host a dinner party, would people come? And so I put it out to Corey and he said he would come. And then we put it out to other people as well. And suddenly we had people flying in from Vermont. You guys flew in from where you're at. I flew in from where I'm at. We had people coming in from Oakland and then other people in the LA area. In Atlanta. Yeah, it got really big. Yeah. And I was so excited about this. I'm like, oh my gosh, like people really want to get together. And it's yeah. funny because like I invited Joanna, who works with me on Hope and Hard Pills team, and I thought she lived in Portland. And so I'm like, oh, it'll just be a couple hours. She'll hop over. I didn't realize she lived in Vermont. And so she came all the way. She could have basically flown to Europe. And instead, she came to LA to hang out with us. And so all of us were meeting in real life for the first time. All of us have met online, we've done Zoom meetings, we've, you know, like been a part of many conversations, but we actually got to meet and stay together in the same house for like five days. And it was amazing. It was awesome. I was really excited about this potential. And I was overwhelmed by this idea that here we are meeting for the first time, all of us. And where did we meet to begin with? We met online. We met in social media platforms. And so it's had me thinking for months now about, you know, how maligned social media is 
And yet at the same time, what an amazing tool for connection, for social movement, and for creating real change. And so to me, it was just like a dream come true to connect with everybody and just spend time together. Yeah, and it felt like a dream also, just in the sense that I think about how... How unusual of a thing it was. Like you were saying, we've all met online. We've interacted digitally across miles and miles and miles around the country. So it it was kind of a big risk for us to say, hey, let's rent this house in Alhambra and let's all pitch in and let's stay there together for four or five days. And the group that we assembled, it really felt perfect. It felt comfortable and safe and joyful. Like it was such a, I think for me, it was refreshing and restoring in a way I didn't realize I needed to just be in that space with all of you. So, you know, it was my wife and I, and then there were three, then you, Jen, and then three other, was it three other women or two other women? Um, You know, just for us to be able to be in that house. And it it just was a a peaceful environment. It was a fun environment. And we just got to be and and we needed it. Yeah. I mean, and like you said, you were surprised to realize there was this restorative aspect to it. And it's funny, Mm -hmm. like you and I beforehand, were like, Oh, we're going to do this. And we're going to do this. And we're going to talk about this. And we're going to plan the podcast episodes and the guests. And you know, like we we would have our meetings weekly and be like, Oh, well, we'll talk about it in LA. We'll talk about it in LA. And it was funny because we didn't even talk about the fact that when we got together, we both just were like, meh, we just want to hang out. We're not going to talk business at all. We were thinking we were going to record a live podcast and do all of these things. And then getting together, it was just like, like you said, it was something that I didn't realize I needed. It just felt really restorative to be together, spending time in a safe space. And that is a really interesting thing as well. I did not expect that. I didn't expect it either. So it was really remarkable the way that it unfolded. You know, like you said, in my mind, we were going to meet up in LA and be very productive. (laughs) Right. I had been making notes of all of these work-related, podcast-related things that we were going to do. And then to arrive there and just to be in that space with you and with the others, it just was like, all of that went out the window. Let's just be here. Let's just talk. Let's just hang out. Let's just get to know one another. And that was the work. It, it turns out that that was Ooh. what needed to happen. Yeah. It turned out that, that was exactly meeting the purpose of why we came together was just to create and facilitate community. And it felt like joy and it felt like healing and it felt like I left with my heart totally full. Mm. I love how you say that was the work. It's so profound. That was the surprise to me, right? Because like we're talking about in this new season of the podcast, you know, we want to talk about our joy moments. We're talking a lot more in movement spaces about the importance of rest and how rest is 
part of revolution, you know, and this, this idea that part of white supremacy and part of that culture tells you, you need to constantly be on, you need to constantly be working, you need to constantly be fighting. It ultimately exhausts and burns people out. And that's what it's intended to do. And so there was a reality to that, that I feel like I got to live in an experiential way this weekend. And it is the work. And so I love how you say that. You know, I thought it was interesting too. Like what parts would you say were restorative for you? I think the first thing is just sitting in the acknowledgement that I was tired mm, yeah, and that I had been moving at such a quick pace that I didn't even really allow myself to feel that I was burning out. Like, and I was, I, but I had been going so fast that I didn't mm -hmm. even, I had not acknowledged that. So it was like walking in the house and then meeting you and being with, you know, you and the others. It was, let me be present, not run and get my planner and not run and get all my to-do lists so that we can start checking boxes. What if I just show up right in this moment and feel and be here? And not, not be thinking of all of the things that we need to accomplish and get done. What if I'm just here? Mm -hmm. and, and if I'm just here, then doesn't my presence also invite and facilitate everyone else to show up and just be present too? And not feel like we've got to get through this laundry list of things that we've decided have to get done, right? And right. you speak to the fact that that is what white supremacy drives in us. And that's what capitalism requires of us is to always be producing, right? Like mm -hmm. I realization that in my mind, taking this trip to LA and being in this big house with friends and with people that I feel safe with, but that the goal somehow needed to be being productive, like even that by itself, that was restorative, realizing that this is the work. This is being productive, doing nothing, resting, laughing, you know, enjoying each other's company. That's what we have to commit to and not only commit to doing it, but then also give ourselves permission to accept that's what needed to happen and not feel guilty about the shit that we didn't get done. Like right. that also struggle with that on the plane home of just like, oh my God, we didn't do this and we didn't do that. And what if we were supposed to do this and just being like, you know what? We did exactly what we were supposed to do. So even mm -hmm. allowing myself to be in that, that we did exactly what we were supposed to do. And there's, I'm not going to carry any shame. I'm not going to carry any regret of what didn't happen. Yeah. We did our work and, and it was good. Yeah. And the thing that really, like some of the conversations that we were having just as a group, the thing that surprised me in, in some ways was like the restorative nature of being with people who are doing this work and doing activism mm -hmm. and just realizing that like, I don't feel incredibly comfortable in a lot of spaces anymore. And I don't feel comfortable in part because, you know, this is stuff that I'm learning about daily, thinking about, talking about, you know, it's kind of like I live and breathe and eat and sleep, learning about our history and, and learning about what whiteness is and how to go about deconstructing and divesting from that as somebody who is deemed white. And so the, I, I feel like I'm constantly walking in this tension 
you know, like I want to talk about it all the time. And because of my personality and the fact that I'm kind of this evangelist with, you know, like I learned something, I want to tell you about it. You know, I, I feel like I'm constantly having to keep a significant part of my life under wraps and watch what I say, when I say, how I say in certain company. And so even though like funny enough, we didn't really talk about it a lot this weekend, it just felt comfortable to be with people who I know share the same goals in life. And so that was really interesting to me to just feel like, man, I really haven't felt rest so that was really interesting. It's like, I didn't even realize that I haven't been able to rest until I was able to rest. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes total sense. And I can relate as well. Often not feeling safe in spaces that I go into. Uh, often my spaces also, like yours, as, as you've described, are also going into predominantly white spaces. And especially as a black woman who is an anti-racism facilitator, I have to protect myself and I have to be mindful and aware of when I go into predominantly white spaces of bracing myself in a sense, bracing myself um, with the fact that it is likely and, and more likely than, than not that I am going to be harmed here. Right. Uh, it, more likely than not that I am going to be overlooked. I'm not going to be heard. I'm not going to, this is not my safe space. I don't feel safe in white spaces because I'm not, Mm -hmm. um, because we are not. Uh, And and this is something that we will be talking about a lot more in the episodes to come with regards to what is it to create spaces where black people and the BIPOC community can show up and be free Mm-hmm. So, right, when we talk about this is all of this work and the intention of it, the goal is liberation. And in spaces where we are often overlooked, not heard, not seen, not valued, we already, we, we, that's what we're used to. So what can we be doing as those who are actively seeking to walk in a way that we are anti-racist? in the ways that we show up? How can we create and facilitate spaces that will allow for the liberation of Black and Brown people in just conversations? So that is something that I I noticed when we were together, that I know you, you and I have developed a relationship. We can't do this work that we do together with this podcast and the things that we do outside of the podcast You and I, and the reason that I think our work is as powerful as it is and why we have such a tremendous um, potential to be impactful is because we have developed and we are developing a relationship. And I think that community is something that we don't talk about enough in anti-racism work. And it's got to be a pillar. Yeah. And I think if there is a takeaway from this weekend away, it is that. And that is the importance of community and connection in this. And that's such an interesting thing. And again, like it was, it makes sense to me. And it's part of what I believe in my core. But until I experienced it, and until I stepped into that, and and started to really understand like how this is nurturing and life giving and affirming and energizing, it was more of a theory. 
in a sense. And so it's interesting because too, a lot of white people will come into my DMs over the time of this podcast and say like, how do I find like-minded white people? How do I find community? How do you find community? You know, like, and, and there are all of these questions around community and these feelings of aloneness and isolation. And so I'm excited to see as this year progresses, how we start digging into that and discussing it. And and um, just exploring that more. Definitely. And this is a great time to just remind everyone that we do now have a Patreon community. So we invite those of you, especially who are looking for more community in this work and more connection to join us over there, because that's where Jen and I will interact with people on a, a more personal level, um, yeah. more interaction what we're going for there because we recognize that people are in different places all over the country and even all over the world. We've gotten messages from other parts of, of the world and people are asking those questions where we, we you know, I, I, I don't know of any other white people that are on the same journey that I am. What can I do? Well, we want to be able to provide some type of community for you. Um, and, and this is, this is one of those ways is through our speaking of racism, Patreon community. Yeah. So one of the nights we were there, we had the food for thought dinner party. And it was such an amazing just turn of events in a sense, because, you know, I was all excited about doing this dinner party and bringing people together and meeting with people that we've been communicating with and just being able to sit down and talk. And it turns out that the theme of the dinner was the role of joy and rest in this work. And as we started talking about it, what I realized was that the joy and rest came in our coming together. And that was, you know, just one of those things where I'm like, oh, I'm getting ready to pontificate about, you know, the importance of joy and why joy is is a necessary part of this process and, and hope and the way that all of that connects. And I'm like, and here it is this whole weekend, we've been together, resting, hanging out. And that has been the joy. And so I just thought it was really cool how that connected and how different people shared some of their struggles and yet what they value and what they see as a joy that they're pursuing in their life as a balance to this work. Absolutely. It was it was something that I think came up through with everyone who shared what joy in the work looks like for them in just being able to get together. Yeah, I think we spend so much time on the resistance side of things in the work and so much time countering the culture, right? Because to dismantle and to tear down requires that we are disruptive. So there's an energy in that. So to reverse it and have moments where we were present with each other holding space for the joy and what does the joy look like? And do you feel like you are incorporating the joy on a regular basis or is it something that you need more of? Are, how, are, how are we seeing joy in other parts of the movement and other parts of the work with other leaders that are you know, putting our lives on the line every day to speak out in this way? And I think that we all, we all had that commonality of recognizing that joy is just foundational and, and we cannot endure in this. Our, our ability to be effective in the resistance is directly related to our ability to have moments of joy and rest interspersed with the resistance. Yeah, that is so good. So with that, let's go right into our joy moments. 
Yeah, that'll be easy this week. (laughs) So what was your joy moment? There were so many from our time together in LA. So I'm not going to even just leave it to just one. I'm going to say my joy moments were waking up in the morning when we were together in the house in LA and coming downstairs and all of us gathering in the kitchen, just having our drinking our coffee, drinking our tea and uh, talking about the day and just getting started with everyone. And it was just so uplifting. So that was one. And then another one of my joy moments, and I might be taking yours, was the food for thought dinner party when everyone came over. We had several people come and over to the house and you cooked like you were feeding an army. Uh, <laughs> my gosh, that was ridiculous. You your ass off. And it was wonderful. And I appreciate you uh, making the the vegan and plant-based options for me and my wife. That was awesome. But that, you know, that evening where everyone came together, we were around the table. Jen, you made all this good food. Uh, I want to do a little name dropping. I hope that's okay. Oh, sure. Okay. To be in the presence of Corey Leak and Andre Henry and just to sit and listen to them. Uh, I, I, I cannot tell you how much I was fed just by what they shared. It was incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I looked over the table at one point and Dorian's face was just like, ah, like was just over her. And then uh, she mouthed something to me like, this is amazing. <laughs> And I think she captured exactly how everybody was feeling. And she hasn't stopped talking about it. She was completely awestruck. And just now she's following Corey and Andre. And uh, yeah, she was like, I had no idea who they were and that we got a chance to just to be have dinner with them and and, and, uh, just share a space with them. It was phenomenal. That that was my joy. Those are my joy moments. Those are good. And when you said like, oh, I'm going to name a few joy moments that got me thinking because, oh, right. Like I got to connect with John Williams, who was a guest on the show last year. He was the or he is the director for racial reconciliation at Fellowship Monrovia. So I got to meet with him and that was really awesome. Yeah, just to connect with somebody who I've only shared a phone call with, you know, in a, in a podcast episode with. And then I got to see Sarah Collins. And for those who don't know who Sarah Collins is, she was the fifth girl in the Birmingham church bombing and she survived. So she was the only surviving child in that group and she lost her sister. So to see her on a stage being honored was profound to me. The man who was honoring her started out by saying, all this time, all my life, he had only recently learned of her existence. And in standing there to honor her and her husband and to say, like, we're going to stand here today and we're going to say your name as a community of people. And we're going to honor you and acknowledge you. And it was so powerful because she has spent, you know, decades reeling from this, 
had huge medical problems. She was blinded in one eye. I, I mean, the trauma that she's suffered. And my understanding is also a poverty that she's suffered in. So this community came together. They started a restorative justice fund, and she was the first recipient of it. And they gave her $50,000. Wow. And to see that in real life, in real time, as human beings gathering together around this woman and acknowledging that, like that, that was profound to me and just really healing. And so I would say that right there was my joy moment for probably my year, maybe a decade, right? Yeah. And I would say the dinner party that, you know, like there are so many touch points, the coffee in the morning, um, all of those things. But yeah, I just, I feel incredibly overwhelmed with how much joy I was able to experience, you know, in these five days. <sighs> Sarah Collins, thank you for saying her name. And thank you for sharing what that experience was like to be there while she was being honored. What a tremendous testimony to Black history, oh, to yeah. American history that you know, like you were saying, it is 2020. And, and I didn't know that there was there were five girls and five victims of the church bombing. So I just imagine all of the stories that are buried in not only in our bones, but buried in among families who never had an opportunity to come forward um, to share what they have been through and what being black in this country has meant, you know, all of these stories, all of our stories. So to hear this story of Sarah Collins, um, and as we go into and prepare to move into Black History Month, just the awareness that we have stories to tell, we have truth to seek out and, and to speak. So thank you for bringing that to us so that we can now know about Sarah Collins. So yeah. All right. Well, let's move into our Black Spotlight for the week. All right. What do you have for us? So our Black Spotlight for the week is two friends of ours, two of our the friends that we have met through the amazing thing that is the internet, the World Wide Web and social media. <laughs> Uh, and that we had an opportunity to people that we had an opportunity to, to break bread with over the weekend. And that is Corey Leak and Andre Henry. And these two are activists. They are both preachers. Uh, they are musicians. And they are just all around incredible human beings and leaders in the anti-racism space. And I wanted to share information with our listeners about them so that everyone can go and follow them as well as listen to their podcasts. Corey's podcast is existential. You can find that anywhere that you listen to podcasts. I was recently his guest, so that's available now on his newest episode. And then there's Andre. You can follow Andre Henry, both on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and listen to and join his community called Hope and Hard Pills. And you're a part of that team as well. Yeah, yeah, I am. So just wanted to spotlight them, highlight them for their work and their incredible voices that are inspiring to both Jen and I. Their work has really been foundational for us. So we definitely want to encourage everyone to go and follow them, get on their mailing lists, listen to their podcasts, join their Patreon communities because they're doing incredible work for the movement. 
Okay, so that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Speaking of Racism. Yeah, we'll see everybody and talk with you next week. Thank you.